0: Good evening church. It's always great to be here and um, though you're not with us but uh, to be speaking to you and uh, again hoping everybody's okay all is well. Uh, I want to make a couple announcements and then uh, we'll look at our study for this evening. But I just want to let you know for National Day of Prayer, which is this Thursday, it's always the first Thursday in May. Uh, Pastor Tony is going to do something special at seven o'clock uh, Thursday uh, for National Day of Prayer. Also, would really like to thank all of you uh, for uh, your financial support during these, you know, these tough times. I know that uh, there may be some who, you know, at the minute um, aren't able to work and uh, don't have income coming in, but. Uh, Just, again, still want to thank all of those who, again, thank God for his faithfulness, and then thank you all for, you know, your obedience and your faithfulness to God in financial support for the church. So, again, uh, it's a real blessing, and we do pray that, uh, again, uh, if you're in need or the things are, you know, um, we're just praying that uh, God would, uh, you know, bring this thing to an end, and, again, that he would... uh, Again, just take care of each and every one of us. So um, let's open with prayer and then we'll get started. Father, we come to you now. And Lord, we thank you so much, Father, for your faithfulness, God, during this uh, this, this really strange time in our life, God, and in our history, God. Lord, we pray. Again, we know that nothing uh, ha- happens randomly or accidentally, Father, lord we know that you're in control and that um, everything's been written down god and uh, since the beginning and uh, even before creation god and lord we just want to be looking to you and listening for your voice god and following the lead of the holy spirit during these days father we thank you again for the people and uh, their faithfulness to you lord and again meeting the, the needs of the church lord and and, God, uh, we pray that, God, the church would meet the needs of the people. And, Father, we pray that you would bless our time in your word, God, that you just speak to us, that your Holy spirit would lead us and guide us, Lord, into all truth. And, Father, we just pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, open your Bibles to Esther chapter 8. Esther chapter 8. And the title this evening is Persistent Prayer Prevails. Persistent Prayer. Prayer prevails. In chapter eight, Haman is now dead, uh, but his order to kill Esther, Mordecai, and all the Jews is still uh, very much alive. Long after wicked people are gone, the consequences of the evil things that they have said or have done, they still live on, and they still affect those who are close to them. For example, an, an abused child suffers for years even for the rest of their life because of guilty people who have passed on and are even in their graves unless something changes here in nine months the persians would attack the jews and totally wipe them out of existence now there were about 15 million jews among the estimated 100 million people at uh, this time or that time in the persian empire so the odds were definitely against god's people But as we all know, that's pretty much the way it is. It's always been, and it's still that way today. And God's people have always been a minority. But with God, even one is enough to turn things around. Joshua 23.10, it says, One man of you shall chase a thousand, for the Lord your God is he who fights for you as he promised you. So don't be afraid if you're outnumbered and the odds against you. Are, are, are huge because you see the Lord your God who's all-powerful is to encourage and to discourage and who has all the creatures at his service he fights for you so again uh, one is uh, is a majority with God he says to be very courageous Joshua ten six says to be very courageous and and God fights for you against your enemy so so you know, whatever you do, do it fearlessly in the name of the Lord. Be determined to obey God, be determined to do all that's written in his word, because he will not ask us to do more than what we're already called to do. Just do what is written, do it with all of your heart. So the Lord had brought Esther and Mordecai to the kingdom for such a time as this, and now they were prepared to move, to do what God had called them to do. Let's begin now with verses one through two. On that day, King Ahasuerus gave Queen Esther the house of Haman, the enemy of the Jews. And Mordecai came before the king, for Esther had told how he was related to her. So the king took off his signet ring, which he had taken from Haman, and gave it to Mordecai. And Esther appointed Mordecai over the house of Haman. So the king promotes Mordecai. And according to ancient historians, whenever a traitor was executed the king would take ownership of his property. So if King Ahazus would have taken Haman's property for himself, he would have gained a great deal of wealth. But instead, the king chose to give Haman's property to Esther. So this was probably more than just a kind gesture, you know, on on the king's part. And it was more like a, a, a gift to Esther and and kind of saying, Esther, you know, I'm really sorry for my foolish decisions that caused you and your people so much pain. And later on, Esther may have showed or may have shared some of this great wealth with the Jews so that they could have, they could prepare themselves for the coming crisis. King Ahasuerus knew that both Esther and Mordecai were Jews, but now he was about to find out that they were also cousins. Ahasuerus and Mordecai were related or relatives by marriage. When Haman was dethroned, the king took back his royal signet ring that he had given him back in chapter 3 verse 10, which was the distinctive mark of the authority of the throne. And he gave it to Mordecai, making Mordecai now the prime minister. So with a Jewish queen and a Jewish prime minister in the palace the Jews in the empire were now in a better position politically than they were ever before. So Esther gives Mordecai the job of managing Haman's huge estate, who had opposed Haman. And Mordecai had refused to bow to Haman. And if it hadn't been for Mordecai's courage and the encouragement of Esther, Haman would still be in control of things. And you know, this kind of says something to us. I just wonder how much evil today is the result of Christians not having the courage to say something or do something when they had a chance. Edmund Burke said this All that is necessary for evil to triumph is for good men to do nothing. Dante, in his writing, The Inferno, said this. The hottest places in hell are reserved for those who, in a time of moral crisis, maintain their neutrality. They don't take a stand. And Martin Luther King said this, history will have to record that the greatest tragedy of this period of social transition wasn't the strident clamor of the bad people, but the appalling silence of the good people. You know, we as Christians, you know, we need to speak up. We need to stand up for righteousness' sake, and we when we have the chance, we need to speak out. We need to speak about God. We need to speak about his goodness and his and his you know and his faithfulness. The psalmist said in Psalm thirty seven, verse thirty four through thirty six, wait on the Lord and keep his way, and he shall exalt you to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, you shall see it. I have seen the wicked in great power and spreading himself like a native green tree. Yet he passed away and behold, he was no more. So King Ahasuerus made sure that Mordecai dressed accordingly. That is that he would wear something that was fitting for his office. And that, you know, that, that clothing is described in verse 15. Let's look at it real quick. Verse 15 says, So Mordecai went out from the presence of the king in royal apparel of blue and white, with a great crown of gold and a garment of fine linen and purple, and the city of Shushan rejoiced and was glad. <clears throat> you see, Mordecai's new clothing identified him with his position. He had new robes repaired especially for him. You know, what he wore told the people who he was and what his position was, kind of kind of like a policeman or a fireman. You see the policeman's uniform. Well, obviously it shows that he's a policeman or a fireman. And you know, his fireman, his his uniform tells people that he's a fireman. And so this new clothing for Mordecai shows now that he's the prime minister. That uh, you know he's something important and holds an important position. His clothing identified him with his position we also read in acts 26 verse 20 uh it says uh, but but declared first to those in damascus and jerusalem and throughout all the region of judea and then to the gentiles that they should repent turn to god notice and do works befitting repentance in other words you know the new man the new life the new the new behavior should should you know befit." our repentance. In other, words, in other words, it should be a witness, a testimony to who we are. Believers ought to live a different life than the sinful life they lived before they were saved. Colossians 3, 8, 15 puts it like this. And Paul said, but now you yourselves are to put off. The word put off means to renounce or to abandon or to forsake. He says you're to put off all of these, anger wrath malice blasphemy filthy language out of your mouth do not lie to one another since you have put off the word put off here means to divest or to separate oneself wholly so we are to put off we are to forsake anger and wrath and malice and blasphemy and all these kind of things because that's from the old nature and then we're to put off that we are, are separate ourselves from the old man with his deeds. He says that is the old man with his deeds and, and we are to put on. The word put on means in the sense of seeking, sinking into a garment to invest with clothing literally or figuratively. So we're to put off the old man, the old things, anger, wrath, you know, the disposition of the old man. And we're to put on, it means to put on like a new piece of clothing, We are to put on its new garment, figuratively speaking, of the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved... Put on. Notice, he says it again. Put on. This is speaking of the character of the new man, which is tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you almost, almost so you also must do. But above all these things, here he is. Put on love which is the bond of perfection and let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which also you were called in one body and be thankful you know we're told to put off to put off to separate ourselves to from, from the things of the of the old man the deeds of the old man you know wrath malice blasphemy all of these things and we're to put on like a new piece of clothing the character of the new man tender mercies kindness and those things so we're to put it on so again it's a picture here uh uh, again uh, mordecai's new clothing it's a picture of his new position in the persian empire so the official royal colors were blue and white according to chapter 1 verse 6 the golden crown was probably a large turban along with the robe of white and purple again these clothes identified mordecai as an important man of great authority now, everything that Haman had received from the king, he'd gotten it through deceit. He got it through, through scheming. But Mordecai received them as gifts because Mordecai was a man who deserved it. Now, at the beginning of our story, Esther and Mordecai, they weren't very good examples of the way they practiced their faith. But now we get the impressions that things have changed. Both of them have confirmed that they were Jews. And, and, and both were the, were the means, uh, Mordecai and, and Esther were the means of calling all the Jews in the empire to prayer and to fasting. In one way, they were leaders of a Jewish revival, and that made being Jewish a more honorable thing in the empire. As we all know, God doesn't always give this kind of a happy ending to everybody's life or everybody's story. Today, not all faithful Christians are promoted. Or given the special honors that they deserve some of them get fired or they're harassed because of their stand for jesus christ but jesus said you will be hated by all for my name's sake but he who endures to the end will be saved hanging in there hanging there and being faithful to the lord and again in due time god will give us our reward god never promised that the road to heaven would be an easy walk He said, you know, we'll be promoted and, and we'll be made rich in his time. But again, he never promised us an easy walk. He never promised that we'd be promoted and made rich. Not here anyway. But he has promised us that he's in control of all circumstances and that he will have the last say. He'll have the last word in the story of your life. And if God doesn't promote you here on earth, for sure he will promote us when we get to heaven Let's look at verses 3 and 6 now, 3 through 6. And we look at Esther's prayer. It says, Now Esther spoke again to the king, fell down at his feet, and implored him with tears to counteract the evil of Haman the Agagite and the scheme which he had devised against the Jews. And the king held out the golden scepter towards Esther. So Esther arose and stood before the king and said, If it pleases the king, and if I have found favor in his sight, and the thing seems right to the king, and I am pleasing in his eyes, let it be written to revoke the letters devised, uh, devised by Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, which he wrote to annihilate the Jews who are in all the king's provinces. For how can I endure to see the evil that will come upon my people? Or how can I endure to see the destruction of my countrymen? Wealth, prestige, personal security, That could never make Esther happy as long as she knew that her people were still in danger. The most important thing in Esther's life wasn't her comfort. It was her people's safety and their deliverance. And she couldn't rest until this whole thing was settled. Now, how different from some people or some believers today who don't pay any attention to the needs of a lost world as the lost world struggles to find their way through life. You know, while the you know, when they're not looking, you know, to the struggles of those lost in the world, you know, they're looking, you know, to their own ways, to their own joy, to their own, you know, security. They think that going to church and and maybe bringing their their tithes and their offerings fulfills their Christian responsibility, and that okay, that makes God happy and they feel good and and it gives them the freedom to do whatever they want, you know, with their with their time. We need more people like Esther today whose burden was for the condemned she was burdened for the people who were condemned and that was greater to her than anything else in her life outside the church is a world of condemned people and they're going to hell if the Christians if we don't speak up and if they don't know about Jesus Christ that should bother you You know, the the empty seats that we see in church week after week, month after month, that is truly a testimony to the devil. He's doing a good job keeping people out of church. Somebody once said, the only thing most of us know about sacrifice is how to spell it. A.W. Toza said, too many Christians want to enjoy the thrill of feeling right, but are not willing to endure the inconvenience of being right. Now, Esther couldn't do everything, but she could do something. And whatever she could do, she did it. So she goes to the king, and she asks the king to withdraw the order that Haman had written up and dispersed all over the Persian Empire. It was Esther interceding at the throne of the king that saved the people of Israel from being slaughtered from total annihilation. What a picture of our intercessor, Jesus Christ, who sits at the right hand of the Father and intercedes for you and me. She wasn't asking for anything for herself. All she wanted was for the king to save her people and to deliver them from this annihilation and to deliver her from the heavy burden that was on her heart for her people. And as you read the scriptures and you go through them, Make a list. Check it out. How many people have prayed for the Jews? Moses prayed for the Jews in Exodus 32. Paul prayed for the Jews in Romans 9, 1 through 3. Elijah prayed for the Jews in 1 Kings 18. Nehemiah in Nehemiah 1. And Ezra in Ezra chapter 9. And Daniel in Daniel 9. We read in Isaiah 62, 6 through 7. God said, I have set watchmen on your walls, O Jerusalem, who shall never hold their peace day or night. You who make mention of the Lord, notice, you who make mention of the Lord, do not keep silent and give him no rest till he establishes until he makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth. It was and still probably today the the devil's greatest idea and the greatest joy of the devil when he got the church overall to take the mighty weapon of prayer so lightly and to lay it down. You know, the devil is perfectly happy with people going to church. He doesn't mind people going to church. He doesn't mind that the the church grows in number. He doesn't mind that the church staff increases and that ministries grow. He, he He doesn't mind the membership of the church increasing. He's perfectly okay with all of that. If the church itself will just not take praying so seriously, which we have done. We've all but given up on prayer. Again, I've said it many times, but prayer meetings are so poorly attended, proving that the devil has got the church where he wants it. We're so busy today. And the devil loves to keep Christians too busy to spend time in prayer with God. And if we're too busy to pray, and we're too busy to worship, and we're too busy to read, I tell you what, we are busier than God intended us to be. And always remember the acronym, uh, busy, being under Satan's yoke. Being under Satan's yoke. Jesus said in Mark 13, the seed that fell among the thorns represents those who hear God's word. But all too quickly, the message is crowded out, noticed, by the cares of this life and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. You know, and the cares of this life, in and of themselves, they can be good things. You now, just the, the busyness of life, the responsibilities that we have in life—again, they can be good things. But we have to prioritize those things. We have to, again, make that time for the Lord, that devotional time, that quiet time, that communion with Him. Esther's example here encourages us to uh, to come to God's throne. And to pray for others, especially people who are lost, people who need to be delivered from eternal death. Just one concerned person devoted to prayer, willing to say or to do something can make a big difference in this world or in somebody's life. Because prayer is the key that releases the power of God. And James tells us, you do not have because you do not ask. I mean, how many of you would want to change? Want change in your marriage? How many of you have unsaved family or friends? How many might need a job, especially in the in the, in the time that we're in? How many have un, have wayward children or have no power over sin? Won't or you won't forgive, or you have no victory, you know, in, in, in your Christian walk. You know, you want a better church, you want a better pastor, you want more ministry, you want more staff, better conditions. A change of heart for yourself. Maybe that's what you want. Or for somebody else. How many are in need this evening? Always remember that the victory of Calvary was won in Gethsemane. Jesus knew he was going to the cross. And before he went to the cross, he went to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. And that's where he got the victory for the cross. Esther's pleading here before the king gives us a good lesson about how to pray. Before the king of kings. We see that that Esther prayed with persistency. She prayed with humility. She prayed with fervency. And she prayed with purity. And we need to do the same thing. We need to apply these things to our prayer life. When we come before the heavenly heavenly king. Esther prayed persistently. She prayed with persistency. Notice it says in verse 3. Esther spoke again. Again. To the king the emphasis on again it wasn't the first time it wasn't the first time that esther brought her problem to the king she was persistent she didn't give up she kept coming back to the king with the problem with haman she didn't stop coming until she got action from the king and jesus tells us in matthew 7 7 through 8 to keep asking and it will be given to you keep seeking and you will find keep knocking and it will be open to you. For everyone who keeps asking receives, and he who keeps seeking finds, finds, and to him who keeps knocking, the door will be opened. Now the word keep is is an action word. It means keep on it. It's to continue. To keep asking, to keep seeking, to keep knocking, to not give up. And you know what? This is a commanded duty. It's a commanded duty from Jesus. Faith is active. It is not a passive thing. It's not the attitude, oh, well, you know, whatever happens will happen. God's in control. Persistence in prayer means to keep asking, to keep seeking, to keep knocking, because prayer is a work of faith. And James said, faith without works is dead. We need to pray persistently before the King of Kings. And all through Scripture, we are commanded to pray again and again to the Lord. Jeremiah 33, 3. We, Jeremiah says uh, God says call to me and I will answer you and now in Psalm 91 15 it says the psalmist said he shall call upon me God said he shall call upon me and I will answer him Jeremiah twenty-nine twelve, it says then you will call upon me and go and pray to me and I will listen to you and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart I will be found by you says the Lord We read in Romans 12 12, Paul said, Continuing steadfastly in prayer. 1 Thessalonians 5 17, pray without ceasing. Luke 18 1, Jesus said, Men always ought to pray and not lose heart. And the inference there is that if you're losing heart, you're not praying. Matthew 26 41, Jesus said, Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. You see, if your prayer life isn't productive, And you don't see prayers being answered, maybe it's because you're not persistent enough in prayer. Then we see that Esther prayed with humility. Notice in verse 3 it says, She fell down at his feet. She fell down at his feet. Even though Esther was the queen and she held an important position in the kingdom, she still came humbly before the king. She didn't take him for granted because she was his wife. When we come to the King of Kings in prayer, we have to always keep the proper, uh, the proper respect. He is Lord. I'm his, I'm his creature. He's my creator. And we must bow before him in our hearts and we must recognize him as Lord and God and reference him. Because if we come any other way, it will hinder our prayers. We see that Esther prayed with fervency. Verse 3 says she implored him with tears, implored, begged, besought him. Esther was sincere when she came to the king. She was so sincere and honest in her prayer to the king that she wept openly in front of him regarding her request. We have to be sincere before God if we're going to get anywhere in our prayer life. And we can't expect God to be sincere about answering our prayers if we're not sincere in praying our prayers. Now, sincerity doesn't mean that you have to cry or or have a sad face. It could just mean coming before him again and again in sincerity. And then Esther prayed in purity. To counteract the evil of Haman, the Agagite, and his wicked scheme, which he had devised against the Jews... Esther's prayer was for purity. Haman was an evil man, and she pleaded to stop his wickedness. We often pray for prosperity. We often pray for good health. We often pray for our needs, and we pray for peace and many other things. But how often do we pray for purity and holiness? And yet purity is more important than prosperity or health or happiness, which is the key to peace in the land. We need to come to God in purity, and we need to pray for purity. Paul said in 1 Timothy 2.8, I desire, therefore, that the men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands. Now, verses 7 through 17, and we see here now the king's proclamation. Then King Ahasuerus said to Queen Esther at Mordecai the Jew, Indeed, I have given Esther the house of Haman, and they have hanged him on the gallows, because he tried to lay his hand on the Jews. You yourselves write a decree concerning the Jews as you please in the king's name and seal it with a king's signet ring for whatever is written in the king's name and sealed with a king's signet ring no one can revoke. So the king's scribes were called at that time in the third month, which is the, mo- the month of Sivan on the 23rd day. And it was written according to all that Mordecai commanded to the Jews, the satraps, the governors and the princes of the provinces from India to Ethiopia, 127 provinces in all to every province in its own script, to every people in their own language and to the Jews in their own script and language. And he wrote in the name of King Ahasuerus, sealed it with the king's signet ring and sent letters by couriers on horseback, riding on royal horses bred from swift steeds. By these letters, the king permitted the Jews who were in every city to gather together and protect their lives, to destroy, kill, and annihilate all the forces of any people or province that would assault them, both little children and women, and to plunder their possessions on one day uh, on one day in all the provinces of King Ahasuerus, on the thirteenth day of the twelfth month, which is the month of Adar, a copy of the document was to be issued as a decree in every province and published for all people, so that the Jews would be ready on that day to avenge themselves uh, to avenge themselves on their enemies. The couriers who rode on royal horses they went out, hastened and pressed on by the king's command. And the decree was issued in Shushan, the citadel. So Mordecai went out from the presence of the king in royal apparel of blue and white with a great crown of gold and a garment of fine linen and purple. And the city of Shushan rejoiced and was glad. The Jews had light and gladness, joy and humor. And in every province and city, wherever the king's command and decree came, the Jews had joy and gladness and a feast and a holiday. Then many of the people of the land became Jews because fear of the Jews, the fear of the Jews fell upon them. The problem that Esther and Mordecai faced was that the king couldn't stop the first order that was written by Haman and approved by the king because the laws of the Medes and the Persians were unchangeable, even if the king approved a revision to that first to that first law. Today, in modern democratic nations, we can change the laws through legislature. We can reverse decisions and revoke laws, and, uh, and the Supreme Court can even you know, declare laws unconstitutional. But it, it wasn't that way in, in, here in, in the time of, of Esther and Mordecai. In, in that time, the ancient dictatorship of the Persian Roman Empire was everything. Man, whatever the king said was the law of the land, and the king could do no wrong. But the king couldn't legally take back his order. But he could issue a new order that would help the Jews dealing with the first order. The new order would let everybody in the empire know that the king wanted his people to have a different attitude toward the Jews and to look at them in a more favorable light. And now that Mordecai was the prime minister, it was his job to write up the new order. And and he did that. What he did was give the Jews permission to defend themselves against anybody who tried to kill them and take their property. So now this is the new order. It allowed the Jews to gather together and to defend themselves. But they were not to, uh, they were not to be the attackers. They were only to defend themselves. Now this new order was written on the 23rd day of the third month. According to verse 9 on our calendar, it would be June 25th, uh, 474 B.C. The first decree was issued on April uh, April 17th, back in chapter 3, verse 12. So about 70 days had passed since Haman declared war on the Jews. And the day of the attack against the Jews was set for March 7th, according to chapter 3, verse 13. So the people had eight months to get ready. Now, some people would look at this and say, you know, that it was really was it really ethical for Mordecai to give the Jews the authority to defend themselves and kill if necessary? Now, people who say the Bible isn't inspired by God, they like to use these kinds of passages as proof that there can't be a God. Oh, God wouldn't allow something like this. God wouldn't allow, you know, Mordecai and and the Jews to defend themselves and to kill if necessary. You know, or they'd use this as as a passage to say, well, you know, he's not loving. God isn't loving. First of all, we need to look at the order that Ahasuerus gave, the first order. And that's where all of the trouble began. Think of it. If it, was wicked, if it. if it was wicked for Mordecai to tell the Jews to defend themselves, then it was even more wicked for Haman and Ahasuerus to tell the Persians to attack the Jews in the first place, to slaughter them, to wipe them out. Now, self-defense is not a crime, but extermination definitely is. And I don't think that these people would approve of the king's orders to kill all of the Jews. So if they, if they don't approve of the king's order to allow murder, then how could these people, you know, disapprove of Mordecai's order allowing them, that is the Jews, the right to defend themselves? Now, naturally, it would have been better if, if Haman's order was never given but it was. So it's better that Mordecai disarmed that first letter by Haman by issuing this second order that gives them the ability to defend themselves. So the royal clothing <clears throat> that Mordecai is now wearing is certainly different, remember, than the sackcloth and the ashes that he wore for a little while before. His appearance in the city no doubt <clears throat> reinforced the joy Produced by the king's new order. Notice the difference now between the orders given by Haman and the king. Haman's order brought sorrow, the king's order brought joy. That's what salvation does, it brings real joy into your life. So, in closing, you know, you can go out, you can go out on the town, you can go to nightclubs, you can go to casinos. You can spend a lot of money and and party till you drop but if you're unsaved all right if you're an unsaved person you may have a good time because you can you can go you can watch the shows you can get drunk you can pretty much do whatever you want and yeah you might have a good time that night but you won't you won't have a good time in the morning you will feel lousy you'll still be empty and you know what you're going to try to duplicate that good time again and people do that year after year after year trying to duplicate duplicate a good time or trying to find a good time try to find something that that brings joy to their life but you will still never know what real joy is apart from jesus christ it's only when you come to jesus christ that you'll experience real joy lasting joy And you know what? God is offering you light through Jesus Christ. He's offering you light so that you can see through all of the deceitfulness of sin and the uncleanness and darkness of this world and this life. Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus is also the gladness and the joy and the decency of the world. The thing that gives worth to sinners is to receive Jesus Christ as Savior. He's God in the flesh, and he died for our sins. That will lift sinners out of the pit of muck and mire. It will enable the sinner to walk through this world with his head up, rejoicing. And we need more rejoicing today, especially during the time that we're in right now, tonight. With the coronavirus just wreaking havoc on, on our world. But are you joyful this evening in spite of that? You see, if you're not filled with joy, come to Jesus Christ and he'll give you something to be glad about. Not just for the night, not just until this this pandemic is over, but even here on this earth and all through eternity. The holy joy of those that belong to Jesus, man, that is a great witness to their profession of faith. You know, there's nothing harder to understand than somebody who proclaims Jesus Christ and how he's their life and he's everything and they live by the word of God. And yet they always look bummed out. They have no joy. You know, it's like they just just don't exude the, the joy of the Lord. Why would anybody want to come to Christ? The holy joy of those that belong to Jesus Christ is a great witness to their profession of faith. And that will draw people. That will invite people to and encourage people to come to Jesus. At least to to come and, and, and see what this is all about. What is the gospel all about? The reason given here why so many became Jews at this time. That is, what it means by that they became Jews is that they accepted the Jews' religion. It's because the fear of the Jews fell upon them when they saw what God did for them. When the, when, when the people around the Jews saw how wonderfully God had protected them and preserved them and how happy they were, when they saw the things that God had done for them at this critical point in their life, they wanted that too. They wanted that 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 joy. They wanted the same thing that, that God's people had. They clearly saw what happened to Haman if anybody thought about doing any harm to the Jews. And it would be at their own risk if anybody would try to hurt the Jews. It would, you know, it would be it would be against their own well being. So they joined themselves to the Jews. It's foolish to think that you can fight against the God of Israel. So it's wisdom. It's wisdom to think about submitting to God. The evangelist Billy Sunday said this. If you have no joy in your religion, there's a leak in your Christianity somewhere. I like that. If you have no joy in your religion, there's a leak in your Christianity somewhere. And I think if believers today showed more joy of the Lord in their life, maybe those outside of the church, maybe those in your family, your relatives, your friends, if, they, if you showed more joy of the Lord in your life, they might be more drawn to the church. They might be more willing to listen and to think about the, about the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So let's pray. For that joy, and that joy comes in seeking God and and walking closely with Him through Jesus Christ, being in His Word, being in prayer, worshiping Him. There's no greater joy than knowing and worshiping the true and the living God. Let's pray. Father, we thank You once again for Your love, Your grace, Your wonderful mercies. We thank You that we serve. Such an awesome God, a faithful God, an all-powerful God, an all-knowing God, and everywhere-present God. And that He knows all about us, everything that we've ever done, ever said, ever thought. So, Lord, may we come to You, Lord, in repentance, seeking forgiveness of sin, making Jesus our Lord and our Savior, and following Him every day of our life. Thank You, Lord.